The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, we're going to answer your questions. Five FAQs on the NutriVal. I've got one. Go ahead. What's an FAQ? The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. You mean fast-acting quasars? No. Seriously? Not quasars? What? No. Quarks? Fast yep, that's quarks? it. Okay. That's it. Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? Doing great, Patty Devers. How are you doing I today? am living my best life as per usual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. So this is a uh, podcast called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova. Thank you. And it is a place where we discuss certain things relevant to functional and integrative medicine, specialty lab testing, uh, therapeutics that are maybe not the ones that you're used to if you've come from the hospital setting like Patty has. <laughs> uh, and that's this is the place for that and other stuff. And lots of other stuff. And if you enjoy stuff, maybe... Go to iTunes or Spotify, follow this quirky little show, rate, review, download, share with your friends, re- leave us a written review. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that's not enough, Uh-oh. you can send additional stuff to okay. podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. We'll field all of your FAQs there. We'll tell you, speaking of email, as you know, in our medical affairs department, not only do we speak to clinicians all day long, but we also answer tons of emails. And yes. in all of the interactions we have with you out there, we have a long, long list mm-hmm. of what we call frequently asked questions, nothing to do with quirks, Michael. But so there are patterns of questions. It has that, something to do with quirks think, because everything has something to do with you're quirks. Right. I can't even argue that point. But I guess the bigger point is there are patterns that emerge. And there are concepts that we find ourselves repeating over and over. And so we thought perhaps we would just take a couple of them, although there's a long list. Let's just answer like five of them. Sure. Most yeah. frequently asked questions. Top five. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think before we do that, we should certainly set the expectation that, you know, if you have sent in one of these, mm-hmm. um, not only are you contributing to the content, so that's a good thing. It, Correct. Does, it does not mean you're a dum-dum in nope. any sort of way. Nope. But nope. they're nope. frequent because... Um, that's just commonplace. It makes sense to have that question, especially if right. you're getting new and you haven't asked the question before. Sort of like, um, you know, when is when is tax day? <laughs> I when is tax day? April 15th. Thanks. I will, I will also point out note of it. that although we're going to focus on the NutriVal here, most of these also apply to the Metabolomics Plus profile. It's really just the common questions we get as it relates to doing these nutritional tests. And so what we thought is, in that long list, let's pick five. And we're just doing the specific to nutritional testing. Correct. The NutriVal in, in particular. Correct. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Where do you want to start? What's What do you got? What's on the, the big bad list? All right, I'm going to start with this one. Michael, do I need to stop my supplements before doing the test? <laughs> and if so, for how long? Yeah. Boy, we get that one a lot, don't we? Yes, we do. Well, as much as I want to say uh, just stop on any given Tuesday. Um, <laughs> don't do that. 
I don't, we don't want to confuse people, right? right. So let's, let me just answer this straight. Uh, it's kind of up to the doc. Mm-hmm. It's always kind of up to the doc. Genova never recommends that we discontinue anything that you consider to be medically necessary or anything that somebody else might consider medically necessary as well. So what you want to do is you want to ask this question of yourself. Um, do I care what the patient's results look like with them on the particular supplements, multivitamins, whatever they may be, or off? Because it's two different questions. Uh, and and we have that explicitly listed as well on the collection instructions, you know, for the patient to discuss this with their doctor. But uh, I think as general best practices, if you've got a new patient coming in for the first time with a, a desire to do a nutritional evaluation, a micronutrient test, then have them discontinue that grocery bag full of supplements that they're taking so you can get a baseline. But that's what having them come off means. And really, you're most likely only going to be able to have a baseline around some of the water-soluble vitamins, B vitamins, vitamin C, things like that, um, unless you want to really discontinue something for a long period of time because a fat-soluble vitamin is going to stay in the system a lot longer, like a fish oil. That could stay in the system for, who knows, three months maybe. So um, not likely to take somebody off a fish oil for three months for the purpose of doing a test, although you could. Fair enough? Fair enough, but I'll also point out two other things. So if you stay on those supplements, let's just say, you're right, Michael, they stop their supplements, they get this baseline, and they say, okay, here's what I'm recommending for you, various foods, various supplements. Then clinicians in follow-up will do testing on those supplements just to see how well they're doing. And then the question we get in follow-up to that is, okay, well, if I stay on all of these supplements, are the nutrient recommendations then in addition to what I'm currently taking? So here's where I would look at that, and I would say, uh, if I'm seeing additional need for support, from mm-hmm. a, like a numeric perspective, there's a zero to 10 score for each one of these. Right. And if I'm seeing an additional need for support, uh, I might be investigating why that might be. Mm-hmm. So is there some issue around digestion and absorption perhaps? Are they doing something else, else in their lifestyle that might be contributing to a higher demand for that? Um, what I will say is I don't necessarily look at it and say, I'm just going to add that dose on top of what they are currently taking because our, our reference ranges aren't based on supplemented individuals. Um, so I don't think it's fair to be like with 100% certainty, we know best practice is to add those two doses together and that's going to get them to where they need to go. You need to think about this a little bit clinically, Mm -hmm. um, and, and have some nuance around that. Uh, but again, an additional need for support showing up does make me consider or reconsider the dose that they're taking. Agree. And for those who want information on how various supplements and or medications can influence findings on the test, we've created things called the test preparation pages. So if you go to the website to the Nutraval product page, off to the left, there's a tab that says test prep. And it basically outlines what we know or what we think we know about how medications and supplements would influence findings. There you go. Two resources for you. You've got the collection instructions. You've got the test prep page on the website for more information if you ever want to refer back and you have that question come up again. All right. Well, here's another one. You're going to love this one, Michael. This is one we get a lot. It's about creatinine, right? So on the urinary portion of the NutriVal, we measure urinary creatinine for purposes of lab standardization. So all the results are ratioed to creatinine. What influence does the creatinine level have on the findings, and does it make it invalid if the creatinine is abnormal? 
No, my throat's tired. I can't do this one. I'm going to I'm going to get some water. You you, you answer that one. <laughs> well, well, the answer is like we just said. <laughs> got a tired throat. <laughs> we we measure the urinary creatinine and we ratio all of the results to creatinine as a laboratory standard, which at face value then corrects for any fluctuations that we might see in the level of urinary creatinine. So all the results are still completely valid. Now, there are levels of creatinine low by which the lab will reject the sample because if the creatinine is too low to perform the standardization, they're going to reject the sample and ask for a recollect. So if Dr. Amy Peacebrewer has released a report out of the Genova doors, you can bet your bottom dollar that those results are absolutely valid. And if you have a question, you can always call us in Medical Affairs and we'll discuss the results and discuss this with you. But in general, people kind of have this feeling like I need to correct my results, my creatinine is low, so I'm going to go up to the next quintile or to the higher level. That's not true. Whatever comes out is the result and it's valid. Agreed. One thing I would add to that. Go. Because it is valid. Now, if somebody has a really messed up creatinine, then it's telling you something clinically, right? They have something going on where, you know, maybe it's as simple as they're overhydrated and so their urine is super duper dilute. Maybe they're having a hard time concentrating things at the kidney level, uh, or maybe they're super dehydrated and that's why the creatinine is real high, or maybe they're a beefcake. Um, Or or they're so thin and frail, they don't have enough muscle mass to support creatinine. Yes. So given that, that can that state of existence clinically can impact other things, right? If you're not concentrating things at the kidney, then there's going to be a lot of things that probably just aren't showing up in the urine and then other things that are showing up excessively. There's an imbalance going on in your kidney filtration um, and, and vice versa at, if you're super dehydrated. So that's why you know, sometimes we'll take a look at it and we'll look at the results and ask whether a recollect is needed. It's not because the results are invalid. It's because the clinical picture is, there's there's something odd about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, again, to your point, whether there's a kidney problem or they are have no muscle mass, these are important. The other place we see this is that when it's a first morning void urine, patients are advised to collect their urine that if they if they had gotten up to urinate in the middle of the night, you're supposed to save that and mix it all together. So sometimes if patients don't do that mm-hmm. and they just do that one first morning void when they wake up without collecting all the urine That's through right. the night, you get really strange creatinine levels. Yeah, you just threw away all of your quinolinic acid. <laughs> the branch chain keto dehydrogenase <laughs> complex only works between the hours of 11 and 12 p.m. Correct. All right, so there's two. We put two big ones to rest. Let's let's tackle this one, Michael. We get this a lot as it relates to the neurotransmitter metabolites. Oh, my favorite. Right. So I think there's some misunderstanding out there as it relates to what the neurotransmitter metabolites are telling us and whether or not it reflects what's going on in your brain or central nervous system. So do you want to put this one to rest? <laughs> do you want me to? I do. you know what I want to say. I want to hear it. You should absolutely use that to dose your SSRIs <laughs> <No>. because... Stop. <laughs> No, so right, this, these these are molecules that are coming out in the urine. So let's think about this. Mm-hmm. the The way that it would come out in the urine is if it's circulating in the blood, right? Right. And the levels in which SSRIs, neurotrans, sorry, not SSRIs, neurotransmitters circulate in the brain are very tiny 
compared to the levels at which they circulate in the blood. Also, there's this thing called the blood-brain barrier, mm -hmm. which, uh, like it sounds, for the most part is semi-impermeable to many of the neurotransmitters. And so bottom line is that most of what you're seeing showing up in this section, the neurotransmitter metabolite section, reflects systemic production and circulation of these neurotransmitters. And they are they serve other... Uh, reason they they have other actions in the body other than just working in the brain to, to affect your mood. Um, now that being said, if somebody's taking an SSRI, then certainly you're going to see that the detoxification byproducts show up in the urine, right? So that's that's super duper common. And if you're producing systemically a lot of a particular neurotransmitter, I'm thinking like epinephrine, norepinephrine, or adrenaline, you know, if you're super stressed out, making a lot of catecholamines, then yeah, you're gonna see higher levels of these because those can't, those have absolutely circulate. And I, I will also add to that, that a lot of our neurotransmitters are actually made in the gut, to your point, they're made peripherally. And so, for example, most of our serotonin is made in your GI tract from enterochromaffin cells, which then- Most get of your systemic serotonin. Correct, yeah. correct. So then that gets into your bloodstream and it gets filtered into the urine and we see elevations in that 5-hydroxyindoleacetic acid biomarker. 5-H-I-A-A. And so we get this all the time. Like yeah. that's high in the urine and clinicians are going, oh my God, my patient has carcinoid tumor. And we're like, or do they just have dysbiosis and maybe a GI effects is warranted. Now, is that to say that they couldn't have some sort of effect in the central nervous system? I, I think the jury is still out on that a little bit. But, mm -hmm. you know, we talk all the time about this gut brain axis and whether that's, uh, you know, from bottom up from GI up to the brain or the other way around, I mean, it's a little bit yet to be determined, but um, I, I do want to keep that option open as far as it's not like there's zero information from a mood perspective that you can gather from that section of the test. It's just it's not exactly the way in which you, you might be thinking the interpretation should be. I have a question for you. What is where did face value come from? I don't I don't know. Should we Google it? Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking, I don't really actually use Google that much anymore. I mean, maybe we should like start safariing it or something. Then we'd have to probably get a new jingle. Got it. Hit me. Well, sort of makes sense. It, it was kind of referring to money, the value printed or depicted on coin, banknotes, postage stamps, tickets, etc. That... Actually, the value face. depicted, you mean that's like what, where it says the number one for one dollar? Right, and or the there's a picture on there. There's a face uh, and there's a value. So, so it's, it's like because there's faces right on money. Right in front of your face, there's a face and a number. Why is there a face on money? I don't know. We should safari it. <laughs> All right, you got another one of these questions? You want to hit me with your best shot? I do. And right, away. As you know, wow, that's my signature karaoke song, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As you know... Oftentimes, clinicians will send in samples or patients will send in samples. There's a urine sample and a blood sample. Sometimes part of it gets rejected for various reasons, like creatinine, for example, and patients are asked to recollect. And if that sample isn't received to complete this report within 30 days, we release two separate reports. And the question I have for you, Michael, is, all right, so the clinician gets two different NutriVals back. What do they do with that? How do they put this together to treat their patient? Well, you take one of the reports and put it on the table, and mm -hmm. then you hold the other one above that report and shake it really hard and yeah. hope that all those results fall from one report into the other one. Bada boom, bada bing. Next question. Okay, so usually what we have here is 
you know, one report will have the fatty acid results, and then the other report has the amino acid results, just to be simple about this. Um, and so obviously, you don't have duplicate results. You just look at the two different reports to, you know, interpret what you're finding for the patient. That being said, a lot of people find one of the biggest helps or one of the biggest utilities of the report is those nutrient recommendations, the overall scoring system for things like oxidative stress and toxic exposure and stuff like that. So when it comes to that, because you have different information feeding into those algorithms from different reports, um, all you have to do is add those stinking numbers together. Right. That's all you have to do. So if you've got a score of three on one report for toxic exposure and five on the other, patients got it, would have had a score of eight. Um, and that's because these algorithms algorithms are based on an additive design. So um, that is really not that hard. Same goes for the numerics of uh, the, the zero to 10 scale for nutrient need recommendations. You know, So if you have a, a nutrient need for B12 of a, an eight, um, you know, that's, that's gonna be the same on both reports. So you add them together. I know it's it's confusing and clinicians get very confused when they see this patients get confused they think they have two different results these can't be right you're right, right in the yes. fa- in the fact that they're not two I mean they right. are two different results but you've got different things feeding into correct uh, you know from the two different reports so again, add them up just add them together right all right I'm ready for the last one let's do this well, interestingly this this question just came up as we were coming upstairs to record this podcast in a consult that Donna had with you could probably say that like every day though I know it's true it's true and it's a common one which I think is is why we need to address it here and what happened in this consult is this patient had on the back page we measure RBC magnesium and the level for RBC magnesium was within normal range but if you go to page two where we give the nutrient recommendations there was still a need for magnesium above and beyond normal dietary intake so the question is how can you have a normal RBC mag and then still have a magnesium need on page two yeah and usually the way this is going to show up is that if you have a normal RBC magnesium on the back page uh, and you have any sort of score show up for a need for magnesium, it's probably going to be a lower score, you know, like mm-hmm. between two and four, uh, because the, one of the biggest drivers of that score is the RBC magnesium. So if that's normal, um, it's not likely to be a high score. Um, that being said, it can show up with a score even when the RBC magnesium is needed. And that's because this is a functional analysis on top of being a direct measurement analysis, right? So the difference there is if you go to LabCorp Quest and get a B- serum B12 or RBC folate, they are just directly measuring how much folate or B12 they're finding in the sample. We're doing that too with magnesium. We're measuring it and that's why it's on that back page. But we're also looking for all the biochemical pathways related to magnesium as a cofactor, seeing if there's evidence of it not uh, not working or if there's backups in those pathways that suggest, uh, you know, possibly a magnesium issue, then, yeah, you could have, you know, a score show up, two, three, four, a little bit of a higher need for magnesium um, in the same way that we're not measuring B12 in the blood to assess for B12 status. We're looking at all these different pathways that are related to the need for B12 as a cofactor. So um, that's how you can end up there. You can potentially have a functional need for it because you might have a lot of magnesium floating around, but for whatever reason, it's not helping the pathways, the enzymes to work effectively. Um, Or there could be some other vitamin that's slowing down that pathway 
that's you know related to magnesium but not necessarily magnesium itself so it helps to sometimes go and look at some of the results that that may have triggered that magnesium score i'll also say because this comes up so often we have those nutrient recommendations on page two as a guide um as a clinician you're in charge of your patient and what you feel they need or should be supplemented so those nutrient recommendations are a guide based on our algorithm Mm -hmm. but again you know you're the clinician, your patient, you decide what you want to put your patient on or, or what you want to supplement with, just to put that disclaimer out there as well. Yeah. And so I would ask you this, Patty. I mean, if you see a patient in that scenario where they've got normal RBC magnesium, but then you have a score, what what's your approach uh, from a therapeutic standpoint? Are you giving them magnesium or what? I probably wouldn't. I would probably look at some various foods that we can work with. I would go to see what are the biomarkers that are contributing to that magnesium recommendation and just seeing how far off they are? Mm-hmm. Are there other cofactors that might be involved there? So you really have to put on your investigator cap um, to really dive a little bit deeper. Exactly. Uh, don't take everything at face value. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Travis. That's obnoxious. Man, Travis, we just answered five questions. We, we don't need a question of the day. We Seriously, just did five the, of them. with the question of the day? <laughs> Right. Oh, I know what it is, Travis. What? You just want to hear that jingle, don't you? No. Question of the day. We did. Question of the day. Questions. Five questions. Question of the day. There's two more. It's the question of the day. They never stop. No. I hate that jingle with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns. I, I think you need to understand that. It's the OG jingle. I hate it so much. It's the first one. Right. Next time on the lab report, we're going to do the next five on the NutraVal. Or we could do GI effects or hormones. That's a much better idea. Okay. Six through ten never really is all that exciting. <laughs> You've been listening to the lab report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. How about all the weird electronic stuff that happened with the super blue moon and the hurricane? I've got a theory. Go. I noticed that there was some major overhaul updates to Google Chrome hmm. as well as it looks like Adobe Acrobat at that time. As well, yes, as well as I think like Microsoft Office did something too. All so at the same time, while there's I, a super moon and a hurricane. Look and Mercury retrograde. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Okay. It's weird, <laughs> and a lot of stuff broke. It did. A lot of stuff broke. A lot of stuff here broke. A lot of stuff at your house broke. My sister's stuff broke. It's weird. It was all on the same day. I don't know what happened. Well, I'm just glad I'm wearing my tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs>